Is it well with your soul? Is it well? Well, you know, some of you may say, well, not so well. But let me just tell you, you are in the right place. Because we know a guy. We know a guy that can change all that in a moment's time. In a moment's time. Before we get started, I did not have the privilege to do this during first service because I did not realize that this uh, amazing event had occurred. So many of you know that uh, we are privileged to be bound together with Coachella Valley Rescue Mission, of which we both support as a church, uh, not only in terms of financially, but also in terms of manpower. And, and many of our uh, folks involved here, uh, amazing with Groves and, and Rich Cohey and a lot of these guys who does, do some amazing work at the mission. But just as amazing are some of these men and women who come out of the mission, and, if, and many of you see them with us. And I found out after first service that one of our trusted and beautiful guys, Mark Horton, finished the New Life program. Let me just tell you something. That is huge to finish that. Only about 5%. Robert Ratliff, who we had up here, also made it all the way through from beginning to end. And not only did he finish, but he was selected as the valedictorian of their New Life class. Mark, come on up here, Mark. Well, we are so proud of you. We are so proud. I want you to look out. This is your family, man, and they, they are so proud of you. So what, what do you have to say about all this? Um, I'm overwhelmed. Thank you, guys. Uh, I've, I'm blessed to have uh, been accepted by the mission and, and loved by the mission and had a chance to uh, be born again and uh, to be a member of this church and all you lovely family here. It's just, uh, it's overwhelming to me uh, what Christ has done for me in my life and uh, the opportunities that he's given me. He's given me the opportunity to also be employed by the mission now. And uh, so I get to be on the ground floor and get to help other people meet Jesus. And come here. Is that any good? Thank you, buddy. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. So that's why we do what we do. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be out on the streets to need Jesus. You can be just, you know, we've got a few down and outers in here that have now been made whole in Jesus. And we've got a few up and outers that need Jesus and are just as desperate spiritually. Because this, this all gets down to a soul issue. This is a spiritual issue. The way it manifests itself can be in great affluence. It can be uh, needing a mission. So it's all, it's all the same. We are in desperate need. And I'm going to tell you something. That is a man whose soul is well. His soul is well. And we stand behind him. And all you guys that are going through the mission, that come in here graciously and do all the work. And I'm going to tell you something. These, some of our folks who I think, you know, the Groves and, and I think of Richard Cohe, just the amazing sacrifice that he makes and he lives in these guys' lives and he's with them day in and day out and just loves them and this is amazing, this is amazing. Well, actually, it's not that amazing when you think, uh, well, Jesus said it was always gonna be the way and so he is the way and the truth and the life. These guys have not found religion, they have found a relational uh, gig, if you will, with the creator of the universe and that is powerful. So last week, 
Who, who was not here last week? Raise your hand. You don't know what you missed. And I, now, first of all, I, I've, I'm, I've been kind of a little bit, I do not get my identity from all that, but I'm going to tell you something, that, that is definitely the best message we've had in the history of this church. And that includes every one of mine, and no offense, Paul, but that includes yours too. <laughs> that was powerful. That was so powerful. And people say, well, how long have you known him? I said, I t- told you, I'd known him two or three days when he came up, and I didn't give him any direction just felt like the Lord had wanted him to speak to our church. I felt somehow that it was he had something to say that was going to impact our church. And from the looks of what you've been doing online, it's the most hits we've had. And I've heard people passing it on to their friends and their friends' friends. And uh, I'm sure we've had over 1,000 people view that just since last week. Um, so it's been, it's been pretty cool. So uh, anyway, because you loved him so much, I went ahead and invited him back. Jamie, come on out. Come on out. No, no, you're stuck with me. But see, I just wanted to see how you looked when I said that. And you were kind of, everybody's like, oh, that was going to be. So anyway, a few of you showed up to hear me this week. I'm kidding. We will have, we'll definitely have Jamie and Donna back. And I got to tell you, Donna, uh, Donna his, his wife, I mean, from that story, I mean, she's just as remarkable. That's just as remarkable, if not more courageous to be a Jewish woman and be where they were and and astounding, astounding. So I, I felt like we, we, we looked over what I was going to do last week, and we were going to skip it to this week. And then I told, um, I told Pete and the guys, I said, well, I, I can't just not get up here and not talk about what happened last week. I'm going to have to. So I downloaded with a few men, and everybody wanted to talk about it. And so even though this will not be a dialogue, it will be a monologue, but I think maybe some of the things that as a follow-up might be appropriate given what we, uh, what we all encountered last week. And if, uh, truly, if you haven't gone and viewed that on, uh, on our site, uh, churchoftheredddoor.com, you have to do that. Uh, you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't listen to Jamie's story and Donna's as well. So it was powerful. So how do you follow that up? Well, you don't really follow it up, but you do the best you can. I tell you what, what impacted me the most uh, it, the, the essence of what I walked away is how am I going to listen to the voice of God more than I even do? Now, I think of myself uh, as a person who's constantly asking God, but it elevated that for me. It elevated it like every moment. Lord, I'm having this conversation with this person. I don't even know what to say. Would you give me some words to say? Lord, what do you want me to do in the next hour with my time? Would you give me some insight as to what you want me to do? How do I respond to my kids? How do I respond to this? How do I, what do you want me to teach them? I mean, it just began an increased dialogue, a conversation, you will, with the creator of the universe. And that, my friends, is why you were created. You weren't, we weren't created to jump through a bunch of hoops with fire on them and like little show dogs and just, you know, be robots. We were created in his image to have a, a relationship with the creator of the universe. I know that's hard to understand, but it's true. And I'm going to try to suggest to you this morning a way in which this, your life truly can be changed by this. Jamie said something last week that I took off on, and uh, it really was kind of the moment for me. His story was incredible, but he quotes uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, obedience is better than sacrifice. How obedient would you have been had you been surrounded by four terrorists that told you to get in the car? And then you had, first of all, the wherewithal to go, God, what would you like for me to do? I didn't, you know, most of us would say, I know exactly what God would want me to do. Run, you know, I mean, run, <laughs> as Jamie alluded to. But, Lord, what do you want me to do? Get in the car? I, you don't know what the circumstances are. Get in the car, get in the car. And he did. Now, 
Could he have ever figured out a scenario how that could possibly have been a, an appropriate response to having four terrorists in the Middle East tell you to get in a car? Only one. The Lord said, get in the car. Obedience is better than sacrifice. We all come to this with, uh, you know what, I am willing to go this far with God and give him a few things. I mean, I'll throw a few sacrifices at him, and obviously then he'll be very pleased with me. And we're going to see this morning that God's not into your sacrifice. He is into your obedience. And I want to take you through both a character sketch, if you will, of King Saul. And then I'm going to tell, and then I'm going to descend into a long thing. And then I'm going to cut at the end. I'm going to come back. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but that was good, wasn't it? That was good. And if you see, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you need to go watch this. So, so uh, let's do this. Uh, first of all, sa- sacrifice, number one, is mentioned 34 times in Leviticus alone. So is God into sacrifice? Well, it appears that he is. Leviticus chapter 22, starting in verse 26, listen to the language here. Now, obviously, this is talking about the sacrificial rite and killing animals and all those kinds of things. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, when an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be accepted as a sacrifice of an offering by fire to the Lord. But whether it's an ox or a sheep, you shall not kill both it and its young in one day. When you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. So sacrifices are what made them accepted. That's, that would be my rendering of this passage. So God is into sacrifice, right? Well, yes and no. Let's press on a few years into Israel's history. Now, you've got to realize Israel as a nation is always a help, helper for us. I learned so much by reading the Old Covenant and seeing the way God dealt with Israel and what he looked for in her is what he, how he will deal with me and what he will speak to me. And so it's a template, if you will, for how we can walk. They walked it in the physical. We walk it in a more spiritual realm. They came out of a literal Egypt, as we've talked about many times. We come out of the world. Pharaoh was a literal guy. Satan is also literal, but also a spiritual being. They went through a Red Sea baptism. We go through our physical baptism as followers of Jesus. We are led into the wilderness. They were led into the wilderness. Jesus, after he was baptized, says the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Do you think that right after you get saved and you get baptized that everything just goes hunky-dory and all your life is great and you win the lottery all the time and all, everything works out to your advantage? Or is it a process by which God begins to transform you into the person that he created you to be, one created in his image? I would say the latter would be the case. Well, Amos, if you go forward in their history, these prophets began to rise up because Israel would rise and then they would fall and then they would rise and they would fall. Not too dissimilar for many of us in our own spiritual walks. I remember after I first gave my life to the Lord in Houston, Texas, I remember a, you know, a, an energy and everything, but I did not have my senses, as Paul told the Jewish believers in his letter to the Hebrews, I did not have my senses trained to discern good and evil. I, didn't, I, just, I was immature. I was unsanctified. And as a result, I went through some wild swings. And my life is littered with some um, really caustic mistakes that cause chaos not only in my life but in the lives of others. But slowly but surely, God, as Paul said to the Philippians, he is faithful to finish or complete the work that he began in you. Well, Israel, all of a sudden he speaks to Amos. And Amos, speaking on God's behalf, 
God says this in Amos 5, verse 21. I hate, I hate it. I reject your festivals. What do you mean reject our festivals? You're the one who prescribed these festivals. We couldn't have ever come up with anything like this. Passover, Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost in the spring. Go to the fall. You've got Rosh Hashanah. You've got the Day of Atonement. Then you've got Sukkot. I mean, you got, I mean, what? You're the one who told us to do all this. We, you know, we've sacrificed a lot. We've come from all over. I mean, now the tribes are in diaspora, and so we, we traveled many, many miles to come here and celebrate your festivals, and now this prophet's saying, I hate them. I hate when you travel all the way down and come down to Jerusalem, get all your sacrifices, and bring them in and sacrifice to me. I hate it. I can't stand it. Well, God, who are you? Are you duplicitous? What is? On one hand, you say you'll be accepted with a sacrifice. We go to all this trouble. And then we come down here and you say you hate it? What's, going, what's wrong with Amos? He got up on the bad side of the bed here. What's going on here? He says, even though you offer up to me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I won't accept them. I won't even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I won't even listen to the sound of your harps. But do this, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I want justice. And how does justice happen? Through righteousness. How does righteousness happen? Through obedience. Jeremiah 6, verse 20, listen to now, you press forward, and here we have Jeremiah. He says, for what purpose does frankincense come to me from Sheba and the sweet cane from a distant land? All this stuff your brains, and here's my sacrifice, Lord. Here's what I'm going to give you. And then, you know, you got you know, you to keep your part of the deal for me, right? And, and we do that. And it says, but your burnt offerings are not acceptable and your sacrifices, they don't please me at all. What? What is it? I mean, what do you want? You want sacrifices and festivals and all this religious activity? Or what do you want, God? Well, if we go back just a little bit to Jeremiah 6, 19, right before verse 20, it says, Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of, now catch this, their plans. Let's see, that, that is a core statement here, their plans. Because they have not listened to my words, and as for my law, they have rejected, they've rejected it also. Now, what God's saying is they don't obey me. And as we're going to see, and this is what I want to try to show you this morning, is that sacrifice, God does want sacrifice. He doesn't need the animal sacrifices anymore. That's over with. That was when Jesus was hanging on that cross and said, it is finished, it was done. He's not looking for blood. He's not out for blood anymore. We're under the new covenant now. But he still wants sacrifices, but only if it's married to obedience. See, what was happening with Israel is that they had all kinds of sacrifices going. They had their religious thing going, but at the core, they just didn't do what God asked them to do. Now, is that any different from the church today? Many times we find ourselves, we're going, we're jumping through every hoop. I'm there on Sunday. I come on Sunday. I go to a Bible study. I do this. I do this. And we, we start piling this up. And God's saying, yeah, but did you do what I asked you to do yesterday? Did you go back to your wife after you spoke harshly to her and just ask, would she forgive you? Did you I've asked you to do that five times now. Why won't you obey me? Why are you not listening to my voice? Okay, Lord, well, I'll go to another Bible study this week. I'm not asking you to go to another Bible study this week. I'm asking you to go back and ask your wife if she'd forgive you for the way in which you spoke to her. Is it any different? Well, it's not really. And in God's eyes. Now, now you've got to understand, in our new covenant, God's patient. He's long-suffering. He's, it's beautiful. This is not a beatdown this morning. But we do need to understand that God was always into obedience. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 22. 
He says, I didn't speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them. I said, look, obey my voice and I'll be your God and you will be my people and you will walk in all the way which I command you that it may be well with your soul. It is well with your soul. And why is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? I'll tell you why or how it can be well with your soul if you're obedient to the voice of the creator of the universe. I am telling you that when you lose obedience to the voice of God, he doesn't turn his back. He still loves you. But I will tell you, you will begin to be the person that's trying to spin all the plates at one time. You will be the one that has to orchestrate your lives because when you leave the paths of God's simplicity of obedience, you begin to go down to a path where you have to orchestrate everything. You, now lo- you no longer depend on the sovereignty of God and you don't even, you're not on a need-to-know basis. You now need to know everything because if it's your plans, and notice that's what it was, their plans, when it's your plans, whether than the creator of the universe's plans, then you have to make sure that you keep all the plates up. What we often think is if I follow my plans, then God's obligated, if I go to church or make some sacrifices, to come and bless my plans. God's not. God want, He has a very specific call on your life with very specific giftings, and we have to walk into that. It's not about being a good Christian. What does that even mean? I'm a good Christian. How do you do that? I mean, well, we say, well, I do this and this and this. And, no, 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 no. How is it? What, is, what would that even mean if that was an operable word? It would mean I just hear the voice of the Lord and I do it. Simple as that. And when I don't and I'm not, I'm not right on top of it, then he's so faithful to come back and just kind of guide me back into the fold. But I always want to be obedient. Now, i got to tell you, man, for all of human history, has wanted to sacrifice. There is an innate impulse in all of us somehow to sacrifice, even if we self-identify as an atheist. I've seen it over and over and over. I don't believe in God. There's nothing out there. I think it's an absurdity. I'm just a cosmic chance. It doesn't mean anything. I'm not going anywhere. It's an accident that we came into existence, and it'll be an accident when we exit. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It'll be a big accident. Who cares? Something will blow up. The meteor will blow up. This whole human experience that we have will be forever forgotten because it's, you know, this big part of this big cosmos. And yet, that same person will begin to give philanthropically, and they'll do some of these good moral things. They'll start... I think it's a backtracking thing. Like, I need to be a good person. I don't know what it is. Just in case somehow something's out there, I don't know. There often is a fight to be good. And in their minds, I'll throw this out there to the great power that be. If they exist, I deny that they do. But if they happen to exist, somehow I'll be right because I have made these sacrifices. And And then we, but we determine what those are. And in every culture and every time and every place, they all look differently. So here's the question. What, what, what is it that God wants? He wants obedience. Where can we see that men were obedient in the scriptures? And where can we see that they were, in fact, not obedient? One of the verses that I want to define me, and I'm telling you right now, I'll tell my kids right now, and, and all these eases here, but I'll tell you right now, I want my kids at the end of my life, if this, if this is true, I want Joshua 11:15 on my tombstone. I'm telling you right now, you can write it down, make sure... Whoever outlives me in here, make sure, come to my memorial. Is Joshua eleven fifteen down. If it was true. Now, can I reclaim this perfectly? No, but this is the heartbeat of my life. So listen to the language. 
Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did, semicolon, he left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. I want that on my tombstone. He left nothing undone. I do not, if you put Frank Sinatra and you play that at Memorial, I will roll over truly in my grave. He did it my, I did it my way right? Don't, please, please don't put that, let that not define my life, that I did it my way. No, I left nothing undone of all that God had commanded, in this case, me, not Moses. He didn't need, we can go directly to the Father now because of what Jesus did on the cross. God, what do you have for my life? I want to leave nothing undone. Am I perfect? Of course not. I make mistakes. I may go three, I may go a month. I may go two months. Well, I'll fight against that. But at some point, I'm like, no. I, I, and the more mature I grow, the more quickly I want to obey that voice. Why? It causes, it keeps me from so much pain and so much chaos in my life. Because then I'm spinning the plate. Okay? That's my idea. Okay, and then, well then they don't want me to do that, and I'm spinning that, and then back over here, and back over here, and then I've one up on my head, and then i got one on my nose. And you wonder why people go nuts, because they're, they're doing it their way. They're doing it their way. We have an incredible story, and this is what this is for. This, this book, this amazing, supernatural, God-inspired book, gives us insight into the lives of men and women who have both been successful, like Joshua, in leaving nothing undone, but also in giving us insight into those that fail. And we have one of the most tragic stories. Yes, there's Judas, obviously a tragic story. There's Demas, for instance, who was running around in the New Testament church, it says, and they were part of the crew. And then the Bible simply says, Paul simply says, he left us because he loved this present world. I wonder how many Demases there are here in the Coachella Valley that have left because they just love this world. You know, being part of a church, being part of a community, I'll do it my own way, I'll do this. And all of a sudden they just drift and then you don't know where they went and then their family's falling apart. And the, God gave us the church to help us. I need, we need each other. We say it almost every week. We need each other. But somehow they just drift. Saul was a drifter, such a start of promise and yet such a tragic, tragic finish. And I want to do just a quick retrospective of Saul's life. First of all, for those of you who don't know the Bible, Saul was the very first king of Israel. God didn't want them to have a king. He wanted to be their king. He wanted them to live under a theocracy that where he led them and he provided for them and he defended them against their enemies. And their basic, they had many justifications, but their last bottom line, but we want to be like the rest of the nations. We can't be like that. No, we just don't trust this listening to the voice of God. We want something more concrete. We want something that we can sink our teeth into. We want a strong leader. We need somebody. We want to be like the rest of the nations. I don't, you know, this whole thing of listening to the voice and I, well, it's going to cost you a lot. You know, he's going to take your kids. They're going to go into service. They're going to go into battle. He's going to take a lot of your money through taxes and other things to build up his armies and all these kind of things. Just over and over, this is getting, we don't care. We'll pay the cost, any cost. See, people... We're, somehow, if we don't have to listen to the voice of the Lord, we're, we're willing to do almost anything. Religiously speaking, we're like, we'll, we'll sit up under some weird stuff as long as those church people will tell us what to do and when to do it and how to do it and how long and all that. We'll then, but at the end, don't let, us, don't let us try to hear from God. 
You tell us what to do. Why do people do that? Because they, they don't trust the voice. They don't trust in the sovereignty of God. And maybe they don't even believe that he speaks. 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you'll remember Jamie's statement, obedience is better than sacrifice. Well, I need to give you a little bit of a story of where that part of Scripture, that is Scripture. He was quoting Scripture and where that comes from. First of all, God had told the Amalekites to go, look, I want you to go in and I want you to completely obliterate, completely obliterate the Amalekites. Now, we don't have the time to go in there and defend all the Old Testament activities of God because a lot of people said, I'm not going to believe in that because of all these God telling them to, that's genocide. I don't want to follow a God that's genocidal. Please understand, and we don't have time, but there are many reasons in which for that momentary mo time in history that God brought justice in time. He doesn't do it now. We're past that. We're under the new covenant now. If God ever tells one of your friends, let's go kill those guys because they're, you know, they're, uh, they're bad believers. They claim to be believers and they're not, or you blow up an abortion clinic or whatever it is. I'm just telling you that that ain't God. So under the new covenant, we are to do actually the inverse. We are to absorb the blows, not inflict the blows. Too bad church history doesn't reflect that because we should have known that for the last 2,000 years. And many who call themselves followers of Jesus held to these Old Testament prophetic kind of momentary for the nation of Israel as a template for everybody else to believe in pattern afterwards. In the spiritual, they walked it out in the physical. If you didn't understand what I just said, neither did I. So let's go on. <laughs> So 1 Samuel chapter 15, now verse 8, are you ready? Here's the story. Go in and completely wipe them out. So Saul's like, okay, here we go. And they went in and they started, they started doing it. But here's what happened. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, and this is a big but, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And, and they weren't willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Utterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I've even made Saul king. He's turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Now you can imagine, and you're about to see it. Saul's like, what are you, what are you talking about? just like the people of Israel during the prophetic time. What are you talking about? We've come from everywhere. We're celebrating your festivals. Here, you told Moses to do this, and we're doing it. We're doing our sacrifices. We're doing the festivals. The new, we're, we're paying attention to all of this. What are you talking about? We haven't obeyed you. Are we any different? What are you talking about, God, that I haven't obeyed you? I'm doing all the stuff you told me to do. I'm going to church. I'm, you know, I'm giving some money. I'm doing blah, you know, whatever we perceive that to be. And God's saying, I want your heart. But God said, no, he, hadn't he hasn't listened to my commands at all. Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Stop for a second. We're going to begin to get a little piece, little glimpses of Saul setting up monuments for himself. Now that gives us a hint as to his character already. He's already concerned about what people think. Why do you set up a monument? Now, never in the history of the world has there been a better opportunity for the average guy that can just afford an iPhone or something to set up a monument to themselves. And we do it through social media now. We want everybody to come and see us, and we want everybody to pay attention, and we want every, it's like a cry that we didn't have before. Now people can just be tweeting. The girls tell me tweeting Facebook is passe. I guess it's Snapchat or whatever. 
And I tried to tweet for a little bit. I have a tweeter account or whatever it's called. And, and I tweet a little bit, but, you know, nobody follows it, and, and I'm unimpressive anyway in terms of those things. And I just, I'm, I've been trying to help get me off the tweet and get me off this Facebook, and I'm off Facebook. But I, I said, not only because of this, but I don't, it doesn't matter about me. It matters about Jesus. How do you get, how do you lift Jesus up? All, everything through our lives, we have so much self-promotion that happens in our world today. And it can happen right in the middle of religion too. And we're all... We're all part of it, and you know, but no, he, he had to set up a monument. That gives you insight. I care what people think, deeply care what people think. And he turned and proceeded down to Gilgal, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you, O Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord. Really? And I love this, one of the greatest things. Think of this in the background, all right? So he's trying to talk, and he's like, what did you say? And then in the background, I was like, Samuel's like, what did you say? I have carried out the command of the Lord. I've carried out the commandment of the Lord. And then, of course, Samuel goes, he says, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? You were to completely destroy everything. And, and, and it's, it's like, we're in, a, we're in a farm here. These animals crawling around. I can, what is going on here? And then, and then, of course, Saul then. Now, watch what happens. They have brought them from the Amalekites. Blame shifting. Watch what happens. This is what happens. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. So this is no longer. And we're going to watch what happens. This is, happens in all of our experiences. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, it was them. Did it happen in the garden? She, she, told, me to, she told me to do that. Uh, you know, look, when you, when you don't obey, we, and then all of a sudden the spotlight goes on, we run for the dark. We run, blame, shift, do the, I, it was It was them. They did it. And, you know, they did it to, to the Lord your God. And what happens to the Lord your God? All of a sudden, you begin to distance yourself from God because, you know, you don't want to be around a holy God, the Lord your God. He said, but the rest we've utterly destroyed. Now, but look, here's what, here, I'm making my case here. Notice, but the rest we utterly destroyed. They didn't, utter, they didn't utterly destroy it, but the rest we, so I did my part, but they, you know. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, speak. Uh-oh, uh-oh. God was already speaking to you last night. So some of you I'm going to call this week. <clears throat> I said, listen to what the Lord spoke to. No, I won't do that. But it, I will tell you, you can imagine the fear that rises in Saul. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes? How did he know he was little? He was not little. Do you know anything about Saul? He came from unbelievable DNA stock. His father, it says, was a valiant warrior for Israel. Israel came, he came from good genes. He was, the Bible says he was a head taller than anybody else. Probably dark-complected. He was the pervert. Ladies, you would have swooned. Said he was handsome. He was tall, dark, and good-looking. But when they decide to make him king against God's wishes, he says, okay, I'll give you what you want. And they had their big, the, the, day, the day had come. Okay, here we come. Saul is going to, here's Saul. Saul, 
saw, where did he go? And they couldn't find him. He was hiding, the Bible says, in the baggage where they had all the baggage stored. Here's a man that had everything on the outside, everything in terms of his own background and everything else. And where is he? He's hiding. He was afraid of failure. Now, in some ways, this could be seen as humility, but in some ways, as we see later, hmm, not so. So he says, is it not true that though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission. I'll tell you something, the Lord wants to send you on a mission. He doesn't want to just save you. He wants to give you purpose and a real direction in your life. Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're exterminated. And Well, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But you rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. And in some ways he said, well, he did. He went into the battle. He, he, did, he won. I mean, isn't that enough? I've done my part. And he I obeyed, and I went on the mission which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He knows he didn't obey, and listen, here he goes again. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, and they wanted to sacrifice to the Lord again, your God at Gilgal. He's like, I can get out of this thing. I can blame I can say we're doing a sacrifice. We're doing a sacrifice. Don't you understand that? We will sacrifice. God's going to be happy with this because I'm sacrificing. I'm doing what I, he's clearly, he'll be happy with this. And God's just up there quietly. Just do what I ask you to do. I'm not asking you to do more or less. Just do what I've asked you to do today. Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus said. It's got enough problems of its own. Just do what I've asked you to do today. And then he says this, Samuel says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So back to Jamie's story. Did, did God, was God looking for sacrifice? Well, they could have done that staying in Washington, D.C. I mean, heaven forbid, he's got a great career going. Everything's going their way. They're involved. I talked to Donnie. She said we were part of a really wonderful church there in D.C. It was, everything was fantastic. It was a beautiful thing. And we were very comfortable and very happy, and we were doing ministry and being very fruitful. And then God said, go to the Middle East. I did not want to hear that any more than I want to hear, get in the car or anything. But what did they do? They obeyed the voice of the Lord. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. And that's better. And that was what he said. That's what he... And I said, I really believe this will be a legacy moment for our church. And you will that left, hopefully, an indelible impression on your mind. Jamie's story, that's not a story you can forget. You can forget a lot of my little things. But that story about terrorism and getting... Because we all put ourselves, I'm sure you did, in that moment, what would I have done? Wow. And then some of you said... Well, you know, it's amazing what he did. You know, he, he's, we try to build Jamie up. And Jamie be the first person. We're all called to do the exact same thing. You have the same ability to walk into obedience as he did. Just a little bit seemingly more life and death kind of stuff. But I'll tell you, there's more life and death involved here than you may possibly think. Your family might be, it might be a life or death decision for your family, for your kids today. You say you can't really see it, doesn't really see it, doesn't rise to that level. Wait a minute. Obey the voice of the Lord. Just do it. 
I can't, I don't really understand it. I don't really feel that way. I'm not really into organized religion. I'm not that. It just goes on and on. Just do what I've asked you to do. He says, to, to heed better than the fats of rams. And then we're going to get into this. Catch this. For rebellion is, is the sin of divination. And insubordination, it's like iniquity and idolatry because you've rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. Now, what's interesting is that this is exactly what happens with Saul, as we will see at the end of his life. There is a devolving, and I want to explain to you why that is. When you don't obey the voice of the Lord, it's just like divination. Now, first of all, what is divination? Well, it's just the really kind of the art of obtaining secret, illegitimate kind of knowledge of the future usually through the occult. Okay, that's what divination is. I'll never forget Laura and I were, uh, we, and the girls too, when they were young, I spent at least eight full summers in Aspen. So when I first kind of was in the ministry, I didn't, wasn't making much money in the ministry or it, almost at all. So I took a job as the director of instruction at, in, at the only private club in Aspen, Colorado, you know, the celebrities and all that kind of thing. And it was the only private country club there, and we went there, and there was a a large Jewish population there. And I had a particular couple, and they were so kind to me, and they were really nice. And I would stay at their home for long periods of time, and I love them to this day. Maybe they'll come across this one day. I love you so much, you know, this this couple. And I would would stay with them, and yet they kind of, and I would share Jesus, but there wasn't a response to the king, you know, and it was this... And then all of a sudden, where are you guys going tonight? Let's go to dinner. Oh, well, we can't. We're going to a seance. I mean, these guys are building 20. These are not people that, I mean, he was a doctor, and, and they, they go into a seance. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's power there. And I said, you think, how, did, how does someone like this, these are intelligent, really educated people go into a seance? What is that? Well, it says right here, rebellion, it's just like divination. It's just like divination. I find that fascinating. Even Leviticus, we know, says don't get involved in divination, 1926. Don't even practice divination. So what happens? I think this is what happens. I think when we don't completely, like Joshua, when we don't completely obey his voice, we realize now we got to spin all these plates, okay? God, I think you want me to do that, but I'm going to do it this way. I, but, you know, I'll sacrifice. I'll do, I'll do some of this that you want, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go all the way. I, I don't want to be like one of those people. I'll do part of it. So you start spinning that plate. I'll do my own thing here. And then I, and then, but then that necessitates now that now you don't have control over it. So now another plate starts spinning because you went off, and now you've got to control that, and then you've got to control this, and then you've got to control the one on your nose, and then you got, you know, and now you're doing this, and eventually some of those plates start falling off, and your life turns into chaos. It happens. I've watched it over and over, and here's the inevitability. You get further, and when the chaos encroaches because you don't obey the simplicity of his voice today, the chaos begins to overtake you, and now you can't hear God's voice at all, and you devolve into saying, I'll take it anywhere I can get it. I just need Dear Abby. I just need to watch the Oprah show. I just need to read the book, The Secret. I need anything spiritual. Oh, spiritual. You want spiritual things? Come here. And you look back and you go, where are these people going for this information? What is this angel worship and every other kind of thing? It always devolves into some kind of a desire to engage with the supernatural because you need help. And as we're going to see in a minute, it's exactly what happens to Saul. When we depend on our old nature, 
to move through life, as we've seen, first of all, we become very insecure and we try to create some kind of image that we can never live up to. So women, if you're trying to hang on to your beauty forever and that's your identity and you haven't ever heard God say, no, 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 daughter, your identity is not made in who, what you look like. It's the, it's the inner parts that I'm after. And you can look beautiful without looking beautiful on the outside. And you can look very ugly without, with looking incredibly beautiful on the inside. Understand who I've created you to be. But then what happens? We, then we get exposed and we run for cover. We blind shift. And then we try to keep up the image because now we're so concerned with what people think. And then we become paranoid and we become suspicious. People will, they'll pull away from other people because they don't want to get their image to be destroyed in any way. And then the image that they've created. And then finally they'll feel so distant from God and ultimately won't even be able to hear his voice. I've watched it over and over and over. And it's not just women and beauty or men in beauty, it's men in business. It's, it's whatever your identity is, eventually it's taken away. I cannot tell you, in living in this valley for 32 years, how many high-level CEO-level men and women come out here and now they finally retire to be happy and all of a sudden they go, nobody's calling me. Right? Because you're not the CEO and they, they never really necessarily cared for you. They cared, the act, they cared for the access that you gave them because of the power position you held. And when you lose the power position, they don't have access, so they quit calling. And all of a sudden, an identity is shattered. Maybe they try to find it in golf or recreation or leisure or pleasure or something. And eventually, you see chaos rule in their lives. They can't hear from God at all. One of the reasons I think Church of the Red Door exists so that we can say, stop, there is a creator and he loves you and he has a plan even at this season in your life. I believe that with all my heart. What happens is we become addicts. Eventually, you know, you got to get, you know, uh, if it's money, uh, if it's beauty, if it's whatever, and then you feel it slipping away, you got to have more and more and more and more and more and you get less and less of a high on it. And it, and it happens, and all of a sudden, you cannot, you, everything goes away in this world. Everything will go away. Everything, let me say it again, everything will go away except for Christ in you. Your power, your money, is that money. I got, I'm richer than I've ever been. The day it's gone, you don't carry it with you. First Samuel chapter 15 then finishes, and he says, Therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. That sounds good until the next sentence, and it says, But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king. And as Samuel turned to go, what doesn't a person that's addicted do? There's like, they'll steal from their own mother, right? A, a bad addiction, like a drug addiction. It doesn't matter. When you get so desperate of your identity or your need for the next hit, whether whatever it be, and Saul needed a hit of somebody saying, okay, you're still okay, you're the king. He needed the people to love him. And what happened? He, he went crazy. He seized the edge of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said, well, the Lord's torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to your neighbor who's better than you. That would be King David. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind. And he's not a man that he should change his mind. And he said, I have sinned. Please, but, but, but please honor me before the elders of the people and before Israel. And go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. What? He was like, ah, people are scattering from me. They're leaving. I need another hit. I need another hit. Please, Samuel, please. He's, he just, did he not just hear the kingdom is being torn from you? 
please go back with me so that the people will see you're on my side and honor me before the people. Please. Is this a man working in his right mind? Not at all. Addiction can be an absolutely horrible thing. There's one last thing I want to look at here real quick as it relates to Saul. There was an episode a couple of chapters earlier that had already occurred and given us insight. It's an amazing thing because there were uh, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. They were surrounded. The Philistines now. It wasn't the Amalekites. And they had surrounded him. And uh, Samuel evidently had said, you want to wait and then we'll make a sacrifice. Wait for me seven days and then we'll, I'll come. We'll make a sacrifice before the Lord our God. And we'll basically pray about this. We'll get God's take on this because, you know, this is pretty incredible. Now, you want to talk about being in the hot seat. This is very much like Jamie's situation in the back seat of that car, isn't it? I mean, the pressure's on now. I am surrounded by the enemy. And so the word of the Lord was, wait seven days. Verse 8 of chapter 13, 1 Samuel says, He waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. Now, if you care about what people think more than you care about what God thinks, can I just tell you? When people scatter, you are terrified. I had 400 followers yesterday, and now I have 200 followers. Somehow we grade our own identity by how many people follow us on something. I mean, how tragic. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he, he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me, and you didn't come on the appointed day. In other words, it's your fault. I saw that they were scattering, uh, and because I'm an addict. I'm an addict. i got to have people's approval. I'm barely holding on to this king deal, this gig, barely holding on, and I'm afraid they're going to turn on me. And who knows? They might have thought that eventually there might be a coup, and they might have even killed him. Who knows? He was terrified. He says, and, and, and so, therefore, now the Philistines will come down for me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself to offer these sacrifices. I forced myself. I, I had to. I had to. Samuel, he said, you've acted foolishly. You've not kept the commandment which he commanded you, and the Lord would have established your kingdom forever, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord sought for himself a man after his own heart, the Lord appointed him as a ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And guess what? That's where he anoints King David as the king. Some theologians think he might have been 10, 11 years old when he got anointed. And then maybe another five or six years later, he would kill Goliath. Where does it get dangerous? It gets incredibly dangerous. I'll tell you where it gets dangerous, the fear of men. At the end of the day, the reason we often don't obey God is because we fear what people will think. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. And this is exactly what happened in Saul's life. He was an addict. He was enslaved by trying to meet the approval of people. And it wiped his life out completely. Horrible situation. He was an addict. 1 Samuel chapter 18, as we look on into the story, so David went out whenever Saul sent him and prospered. See, now David is now, though not king yet, working in and around, has become now a mighty valiant warrior post-Goliath. And what did they say? They get back from the battle, and for a guy who cares about public opinion, 
he comes back from the battle and the crowds are there, the adoring crowds. Saul has killed the Lord's thousands. He's killed the thousands. And Saul has to feel very good about this. He's, ah, the great adoring, my adoring fans. I'm secure in my job. And David, his tens of thousands. Well, you know, last week we were a little more full than this because Jamie was talking. And he got a lot more. He got a lot more hits on his sermon than I got on my sermon. Well, wait a minute. I'm never going to have Jamie back. I, I literally, I'm just because I know this, this is how God operates. I'm like, I got to get Jamie back as fast as I can. If you think this is about me or the leadership in this church, this is about Jesus. We don't care. I mean, we want to get to a place where we care who gets the credit. We're, we're just trying to point everybody to Jesus. I mean, this is about Jesus, but Saul couldn't see that. And what does the Bible say? Saul became very angry, and this saying displeased him. He didn't like somebody being lifted up above him. And what happens? He said, they have ascribed to David ten ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And it says, Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day forward. Did I remember the process of devolvement? You devolve into suspicion, blame-shifting, suspicion, and you become paranoid. That's exactly what happened. You will, if you, let me tell you something. If you're, say you're in an office right now and, and you're paranoid of everybody and how they're going to take your position, do you not trust the sovereignty of God? Because you don't think God can protect you? Are you going to try to spin that plate too? Public opinion? You know, I got to make sure my boss sees all my work. Yeah. And then I got to make sure my wife knows that I'm making plenty of money. You know, and then stop. Stop. Trust the Lord, obey his voice, and trust him with the outcome. And if somebody gets more praise than you, God, as long as they're praising Jesus, as long as they're lifting Jesus up, fantastic. So anyway, the Bible simply says Saul was afraid of David, and the Lord was then departed from Saul. And you know where Saul ended up? In the house of a witch. It's called the Witch of Endor. I mean, here's the great guy that had this amazing beginning to his life. And what happens at the end of his life? I can't hear from God. I can't hear anything. I try to hear, but I can't hear. And God's back there. Just, just do what I, did, I told you to do 10 years ago. I, 10 years ago, I told you, this is your identity. This is what I asked you to do 10 years ago. And you still haven't done it. And you're still trying to do all these sacrifices. Just go back and do what I told you to do four days ago. Go back a six months just obey my voice. Listen to what I'm talking. You know in your knower what you're supposed to do right now, and there's no, probably not a soul in here that doesn't know deep down what they're supposed to be doing. Somehow God has a way of communicating to us, but now Saul can't hear the word of God. He can't hear his voice anymore, and Samuel had died. So where does he find himself? No Samuel. I don't have any Samuel to you know, be the voice of God anymore. Let's go find a witch. This is is in your Bible. Most people think, I think this is boring. This is an incredible story. (laughs) He dresses up. He disguises himself. He goes in and he he says, can you bring up up Samuel for me? Sammy brings up Samuel. This gets into all theology. Some Baptists get really, they get freaked out about this part because Samuel comes. Samuel comes up from the dead. And he says, you didn't obey the voice of the Lord, and you didn't execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, and so the Lord has done this thing to you today. And that's where he finished. I, 
this, listen to just this quick uh, quote from Sidlow Baxter. He says, Saul, the first king of Israel, is one of the most striking and tragic figures in all of the Old Testament. And I agree with that. In some ways, he's a very big. In other ways, he's very little. In some ways, he's commandingly handsome. And in other ways, decidedly ugly. All in one, he's a giant and a dwarf, a hero and a renegade, a king and a slave, a prophet and a reprobate, a man God anointed and a man Satan possessed. He began so promisingly, yet deteriorated so dismally and ended so ignominiously as to make the downgrade process which ruined him monumental forever afterward to all who would read, mark, and understand. Do you understand the process by which Saul missed it? He missed the whole thing. He's like a king. He had this unbelievable opportunity, and he just, the fear of men broke his stride, and he could never regain balance. And he fell, and that collapse has been heard for thousands of years. 3,000 years later, we're still talking about Saul. Have you left anything undone this morning? Well, you still have an opportunity to sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says what? We all know it. Many of you do. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your body a living and holy sacrifice. That's your spiritual service of worship. You want to sacrifice? Don't bring any animals in here. We only do animal sacrifices every other month, so you'll mess up the whole place. No, we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. Don't do that. We don't need your sacrifices. We want your obedience. Don't just come in here and do something because you feel like you should. Do it because God puts it on your heart to do it. That's how I want giving to be. That's how I want it. People say, well, do you guys even take up money? I've never never passed a hat here. We can't even find where to give. I'm like, look, if the Lord puts on your heart to give to this church, give to this church. Ah, no, you can't do that. People go crazy. They won't give any. Hey, we're still operating after two and a half years. Somehow, you know, we operate. Give your body a living sacrifice. And then lastly, in closing, Hebrews 13, through him then let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. Don't neglect doing good or sharing with such sacrifice God is pleased. The animal sacrifice system, the whole thing is over. You want to please God? Give him your body. Give him your mind. Give him your time. Tell him you'll go anywhere, do anything. You'll live wherever he wants you to live. You'll come to whatever church he wants you to come to. You'll, you'll, you'll do anything he wants you to do. I'm telling you, you don't have freedom until you get there. Why? Because then all you got to do is listen to the voice. You don't have to spin all these plates. Whoa. Just do what he tells you to do. Why did Jesus say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, because those who just obey my voice. I'm telling you, do something. You don't have to do a SWOT analysis and go out 10 years and worry about all the possibilities and all the litigation that could come and all. Just do what I ask you to do. Do you know how liberating that is? Are you with me on this? He came to let liberate us. If you do your own plan, then it's your plan and you got to keep all the plates spinning. If you do his plan and you live into his plan, all you got to do is listen to the voice and then he will keep the plates spinning. And he'll keep plates spinning that you don't even know about. And all of a sudden tomorrow, you and Lord, you're so good. That's all you got to worry about. Now, is that a good sermon? That is good preaching. That's no Jamie's sermon, but that's a good sermon. 
Why? Why is that a good sermon? Because that's God's word. That is God's word. Why is Jamie's, why is Jamie's message a good word? Because he's an obedient servant of the living God, and he's, he is a Christ-centered man. But why is Mark, who came up here a minute ago, Mark Horton, why is his sermon great? He didn't even hardly say anything, but did he, pre- he probably preached the best sermon of the whole day right there. Right? Are you preaching a sermon with your life? Pastor Paul, would you mind coming up and closing us in prayer? I had a sense he had something on his heart. He's no Saul. He's a Paul. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, can I tell you, I mean, it's everything Jeff says, it's all about just do what God tells us to do. And our life is so full. Just do what he asks us to do. And there's always a sacrifice because you got to give up some time or you got to give up some money. You got to give up something, but what you get in return is just amazing. I love it. You know, as, as Jeff read in chapter 12, you know, in Romans says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And in the early service, God gave me this message. And I was sitting there about being living sacrifices. He goes, The only problem with a living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar. And a lot of times it's real easy for us to crawl off the altar of obedience when God asks us to do something. It's real easy to walk away. So I'm here just to, again, Jeff, it was an excellent message. Jamie's got nothing, man. (laughs) But but, but here, and it's so powerful because this really summarizes everything. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So, Father, I just want to thank you for this day. Father, I want to, I, I'm so grateful that you call us your kids. Father, we are so grateful that you'll speak to us, that you're always watching over us. You're around us all the time. You have tremendous plans for each and every one in this room. So, Father, as we leave today, my hope and prayer is that those who maybe have been a while since they've heard your voice, Father, will take a few moments just to be quiet to hear what you have to say to them. And all of God's people said, it's a good day. Yes, it was. Have a great week. We love you, Church of the Red Door. See you next week.